Well, welcome back to Beyond Sunday. Like we are excited to be with you today. If you remember last week, we were talking about divorce and remarriage. Mm-hmm. We were talking about the ideal. That's what we always say this podcast is about: is the looking at the ideal, but understanding that we we live in a in a world in which it's not always ideal. And so, what does it look like to work towards the ideal, living in an undi- in a, in a non ideal world? There we go. I was struggling a little bit. But uh, we do believe that the best way to do that is by diving into God's Word, being in, in amongst friends inside of local churches that is the best way to do it. And we're three friends inside of a local church, and and we're seeking to work through this a little bit. And we've worked through this kind of in a lot of our friendship for a lot of years. So that's what we're going to be doing today. I'm alongside Spencer McCush and Christian Burkhart. Hello. And uh, so what we did last week, if you remember right, is that we laid out what is that ideal. We looked at marriage and the way that God intended it. Um, We talked a lot through how especially that reflects most importantly on who God is, uh, Jesus and the church. And so we talked through a lot of those different dynamics. But I think today maybe, and uh, Spencer, I'll let you kind of kick us off a little bit. We also have to deal with living though in the unideal, right? Is the unideal, that, interesting phrasing. I know. I, I chose on purpose. Is that it's this is this this world that isn't exactly ideal? How do we do it? How does God, throughout His revelation and time, uh, walked with us as flawed people through this? And and maybe could you set the context just a little bit for us on sure on this unideal world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I'll use that word I or like phrase. It. That's fine. You can you can do that. Um, no, I think it's good. Um, I think it's I, to remember where we were last week. I think is is critical because we have to remember that God intended for marriage to reflect uh, who He is to the world, so that people would look at marriage and have a better understanding of who. God is some aspect of God and his character or in his relationships or whatnot. And so that is indeed the purpose of marriage. I don't think we do a good job of, of always communicating that or remembering that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's crucial for this conversation to start um, with that image bearing, like that marriage in the ideal reflects God to the world. <laughs> and, and that's what I think... Um, when we have conversations around the sanctity of marriage, that that is what the sanctity of marriage is. And so anything less than that, so any marriage that's less is missing what God's ideal is. Mm -hmm. And so even if a couple stayed married, but they're not actually reflecting Jesus well, they're still missing it. And then we're just talking about varying degrees of brokenness, right? And um, and so, but the the reality is, is, um, that is ideal. That was God's intention in the beginning. But we, we, I think all of us know this both experientially and just we know it cognitively. Um, we live in a broken world. Um, sin has indeed affected not just parts of life, but it has affected all areas of life. And the fact that sin has affected marriage shouldn't surprise us. All of a sudden, um, People are selfish. All of a sudden, people try to make names for themselves. They try to get their way. Uh, they try to maintain power or control. And we see all these different perversions of of what God intended. And and now we live in a world where, okay, um, the sanctity of marriage has indeed been broken. And so, 
I think that sets the table for, in in really severe cases, um, you know what we see in the in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant is that God is providing ways to deal with extreme brokenness in in, in marriage, and I think that's where we start this conversation of going. Okay, we understand what the ideal was. We understand that there's a sanctity in that. We understand that sin affects that, and and, and now it's there's all kinds of brokenness. But but now if we're in that old covenant reality, um, you know, in that old testament era, man, what a, what do we do with the brokenness that exists in the world around us? And I think that's a question that exists four thousand years ago. I think it existed two thousand years ago in the time of Jesus, and I think it exists two thousand years later in twenty twenty whatever this is twenty twenty. Three? Three. <laughs> what, five days in on I was like, what is yeah. this now? So, I, think, I don't I think, know if that makes sense or not. But. I think it does. And, I, and again, the reason for this is because all we know is life in an imperfect world where relationships are hard and sometimes break. Um, but the thing we ended with last time is even in the midst of our brokenness, God's intention for marriage hasn't changed. Like the ideal is still the thing we want to aspire to, to put the faithfulness, the love, the joy, the, the steadfastness of God on display through marriages um, to hold them, to hold them together. Um, but yeah, to your point, there is that sense of, okay, but what about the times when, when, it, when it's broken beyond repair? Or what? Well, I would, I would nah, be careful yeah, of saying exactly. beyond repair. Yeah, when it's broken, where there's the the ability to how would you say it then? I'll, I'll kick it back <laughs> to you. you then. Think there comes a point where brokenness becomes very evident. Yes, 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 and it it works its way out in such a way that within us a desire to say no more. I'm yep. done. Yep. I don't want to be involved with this anymore. Well, mm-hmm. it, I would say there's a brokenness <clears throat> that's beyond any human hope for repair. Yes. I, I would, yes. I, I'll concede that part. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we want to talk about today yeah. is just, is, is acknowledging that we do live in a broken world, but that we still believe God has the intent within his people of still showing off the amazingness of marriage. And so, oh, you have a thought. I, I do, because I would say that we do live in a, I think there's just this amazing reality that if you think through the flow of the Bible, we do get to see sin affect the world. But I don't, I, I, I just think that sometimes we limit the the new covenant, re, like the regeneration, the, mm-hmm. the, that we are indeed new creatures, that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And I just, I don't think we've all often thought about the implications of being a new covenant follower of Jesus and what that allows us mm-hmm. to do. And, and as a redeemed image bearer, how I can then function. Yeah, which is, this is where I'm so excited to have this yeah. conversation today, is that I think, as opposed to living prior to the new covenant, we now live in a time in which it can actually be demonstrated through the power of the Holy Spirit, what it is mm-hmm. intended to look like. So... With that table being set, we're going to take a little bit of a look at how this brokenness was dealt with by God, and maybe even how it moved from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant, and Mm -hmm. the dynamics that shifted Mm -hmm. uh, throughout the Bible in that way. So, man, excited to look into it with these guys. Okay, so I think one of the best ways to kind of look at this idea of brokenness is to go back to Matthew 5 and Matthew Mm -hmm. 19, because I think... 
building into both of those two contexts are brokenness. Yeah. And Jesus is dealing with brokenness. But he's also setting out a contrast as well of the way God's people are intended to be or in, in, in the reality of this kingdom of heaven, right, that he's bringing with him that's going to be to be different. So why don't you take us back, uh, Christian, to, to Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 and kind of help us feel maybe that tension that Jesus is walking into based out of the writings of Moses, out mm-hmm. of what what even past that, those that then were commenting on the the writings of Moses. Maybe help us understand that just a little bit. Yeah. So again, remember in Matthew 5, where we're at in the Sermon on the Mount, it's this section where Jesus is expounding upon this idea that he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, but to fulfill it, bring it to its full intent. Um And that's this series of six different contrasts that he sets throughout the rest of Matthew 5 between what the people were hearing, maybe some of the dominant uh, rabbinical interpretations of the law, and him saying, okay, you heard it was said this way, but I say to you this way. And and he he starts it all by saying there's something really important, a a danger that we run the risk of uh, when he talks about this idea of to relax. He says, whoever relaxes these commandments and teaches others to do them will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called the greatest in the kingdom. And Todd, I thought you did such a great job explaining that idea of relaxing as as making the law more doable. Because we don't live in an ideal world, okay, can we just lower the standard to something that we can reach? Can we put it within our reach? And you kind of gave us two sides of that. One was to make the the demands less demanding and the permissions more permissible. Um, and that really, uh, this is where Jesus comes to in verse thirty one in Matthew five when he says, "Okay, you've you." It was also said, "You've heard this that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce." And then Jesus says, "I say to you." that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of porneia or sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So he is seeking to combat the relaxation of the purpose of the law that was going on in the time by saying this isn't just about give her the right piece of paper, but think very carefully about the ramifications of divorce. If you divorce your wife, except on this one ground of sexual immorality, we'll get to that in a minute, uh, you make her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Then later on in Matthew 19, he comes back to um, uh, the same idea, more now in response to a question coming to him from the Pharisees, where they ask him, well, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? This is in Matthew 19, verse 3, and Jesus says, well, don't you remember what God did at the beginning? He created the male and female. And a man leaves his father and mother's joined to his wife. They become one flesh, the way that Genesis 2 ends. And Jesus says, okay, so they're no longer two, but one flesh. And God's the one who joined them together, so man shouldn't separate it. Okay, if that's the ideal, one man, one woman, one flesh, why did Moses give us what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 24 about this idea of a certificate of divorce? And Jesus says to them in verse 8, it was because of your hardness of heart that Moses allowed you to divorce your wife, divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Can I interrupt? Yeah. There? Just to tie it back to where we started, would it be fair to say, okay, because of your hardness of heart, would it be fair to say because of the brokenness? Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to keep continuity to where we started. Yeah, I, I would agree. From the the brokenness, the whack, the fact that your hearts don't work correctly, that um, <clears throat> that 
we see that all the way back in Genesis 3 when God is giving Adam and Eve the consequences of their rebellion and saying, look, now even between husbands and wives, your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over almost this battle of wills that will go on within marriage. He's setting up saying, y'all's hearts in marriage, my purpose for marriage has not changed, but your hearts are tweaked. Yeah, they're not going to work. They're twisted. They're not going to work the way that it was intended to. And so in some ways, what you can see in Deuteronomy 24, Jesus says is, this was a concession, not the intention of God for marriage, but this idea in Deuteronomy 24 of a certificate of divorce was a concession given because of how broken and twisted we've become. But it was not God's intent from the beginning. And that's where he continues. And he says, so therefore I say to you, Again, like he said in Matthew 5, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality or porneia and marries another commits adultery. Boom. End of sentence. And it's interesting because right after that, and we'll come to this maybe either this this time or the next time, the disciples respond to what this conversation that Jesus just had. And they go, wow, if that's the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Maybe it's better to remain single. And then Jesus says, not everyone can receive this saying, but but... There are those to whom it's given. And especially as we go forward in the biblical story, especially in the writings of Paul, like in 1 Corinthians 7, there is such an exaltation of singleness modeled, especially by Jesus himself, that the ideal for marriage representing the, the faithfulness, the long-suffering, the compassion of God remains. But also there is this way to pursue that ideal through celibate singleness that kind of comes to light in the consciousness of this new covenant too. So, that's kind of the big idea that Jesus lays out, is this idea that a certificate of divorce is because of your brokenness. It was not God's intention for marriage. But if Jesus has come to make a way to deal with that hardness in our hearts, to heal our hearts, to make our hearts new, I would argue we don't need that same concession anymore. The way that we can now approach marriage, whether you're dating, engaged, looking to get married, whether you are married, it's kind of cool. Tomorrow is my anniversary. My wife and I will be married for 17 years tomorrow. This continues to be the thing. Well, let's let's pursue this. Let's let's seek to pursue with hearts being healed by the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pursue God's intention for marriage, even in the midst of the the lingering brokenness that the Spirit is still healing within us. Yeah, there's a, there's a beautiful reality, though, that I think you, when you laid out the idea of the law, the purpose of the mm -hmm. law, right? One yeah. of the aspects that you brought out of that is that that God intends to protect maybe those that are weak, mm -hmm. those that are disadvantaged, those that are marginalized, to make sure that at the end of the day, they're not put off in a place that's going to make it so that they can't now flourish in any kind of a way. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be we forget that too, yeah. is that all along as God has been working from Adam and Eve falling and now all of their children and great-grandchildren and dot, dot, dot as we get to us now, is that God has been working to cause people to still flourish in spite of our fallenness and mm -hmm. our, our brokenness, the way that we're, our hearts are twisted. Mm -hmm. And so here's Jesus, right, landing into the midst of what was though a centuries debate. Yeah. Right. At, at what what point can a person get a divorce? You know, because you, know, you brought it up, you know, the classic one. Well, because my wife burned my dinner, um, because, you know, all these different mm -hmm. scenarios. And Jesus is still saying, no, you, you're you're missing the point. Yeah. You're relaxing the law. You're you're not fulfilling the law anymore. There's something more beautiful that you all are missing in this that I want you to see. 
and especially with him now preaching this kingdom of heaven that's going to come. You don't understand. This is, I'm, I'm putting together a kingdom that is way different than the way you guys are approaching this. And then, like, to your point, Jesus now, he dies, he raises again, and he unleashes his followers. And we really don't kind of see this again until 1 Corinthians 7, mm, mm. right? And all of a sudden, though, the same kind of rhythm and lingo kind of comes back with Paul. Uh, hold on. I'm going to add something. You forgot something there. Jesus dies, unleashes his followers. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> and then, Very valid and, and then you get Paul coming in in 1 Corinthians, where yeah. you see some parallel language. Yeah. But you can't forget that, that receiving of the Holy <clears throat> Spirit bit there. Because the connection between the Spirit and the heart is what's so powerful. Yes. Right? Like, that's we have a new heart. We've been yeah. circumcised of the heart. Our hardness of heart is, I mean, all that stuff He's taken out the old dead. Yep. And he's put in this new this yes. new heart. That and what does that new heart, heart allow us to do now in regards to marriage? Because I think that's where Paul goes in First Corinthians. I would agree. Yeah, and I think that's where the New Testament writers always go, is that we are different, right? There's yeah. there's a distinction of who we are. And so from a Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36 mm -hmm. standpoint, we now can live the intent for which God, God created us. And that's where Paul kind of comes into now this story again. Mm -hmm. Where he's now, they give, they give him a question about whether or not people have to have sex or not. That's kind of the, the question they send him. But I love what Paul always does in 1 Corinthians. He always goes, hey, I appreciate your question. But actually, I'm going to twist this around a little bit. And I'm going to answer what you should have asked, right? Yeah. And so he does kind of answer their question. that where he, But again, he, he gives them this beautiful thing where it's like, well, no, you're not trying to care for yourself. If we really are one flesh, then your heart is to care for the other one. Yeah. But then to your point, Christian, he takes suddenly this jaunt into marriage and singleness. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wait, Paul, but that's that's not what they asked. <laughs> and I could see Paul going, I don't care. This is what they need to know, you know. <laughs> I appreciate that. But but again, he does it by you can tell this reflection back on the words of Jesus yeah. and what he what Jesus talks about there. So so okay, so. Spencer, so if you were to if you were to now kind of work us through as people listening this, how is now brokenness healed in the new covenant? We we see in the old covenant there was much more of a like a concession in that standpoint, right? Where it's like, hey, your hard heart can't ever get this anyways, and so well, okay. I was thinking about it like this, where it's kind of like, okay, this might be a crude analogy, but it's like, say you just have a really unruly dog that does not listen to commands and that could be a danger to others. What you better have is a high enough fence around your house and some beware of dog signs. And you might even need to have that little like screw in stake thing you put in the middle of the ground that you hook the leash to. So the dog's not stuck in like a crate or a box. It has some room to move, but there's limitations placed upon it, both for its protection from its unruliness and for other people's protection from its yeah. unruliness. I think it's a great way to look at like what Jesus is talking about, this idea of the hardness of the heart and, and uh, concessions like this that we see in the Old Testament law. There is both a limitation placed upon like a leash put on our sinful desires because unleashed our sinful desires will go off the cliff in a, in, a, in a minute and cause a lot of collateral damage. So there is that sense of restraint of our sin and 
protection from those who could be most mistreated by it. And that was the thing we saw with, with, with divorce and the certificate of divorce. This was a way to protect the woman, protect her um, from false accusation, give her some way to verify she's been rejected in order to seek uh, protection from somebody else. But, but yeah, I just think like, if that's where the story stops with just, okay, we're the, we're the, the unruly dog leashed to the post in the middle of the yard that's seriously as good as it gets? No, this the, even the law itself is craving a fuller fulfillment. Yeah. So give us the new covenant. That's a great explanation of the old covenant. <laughs> give us the new covenant. Yeah, I think I think we have to go back to what God's intent was in saying, okay, if God's intent for marriage or for humanity, really in all creation, was to put him on display and make him known. Um, marriage, we see that in a very unique way. We talked about last week that it's able to reflect Jesus and his relationship to the church or the father's relationship to the son or the son's relationship to the Holy Spirit. I mean, all these beautiful images, um, and we get to know that in a very unique way. And then we see that sin doesn't change God's intent, but it definitely does twist it and, it, and it brings a brokenness to the world. Jesus then in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 19, we see him acknowledging the brokenness and making concessions through the old covenant. But he's also going, but but don't, re- don't forget where we were. But this is where I think we, we forget that Jesus was still speaking to a group of people who haven't yet received the Holy Spirit. The new covenant, the new heart, the circumcised heart, the the heart of flesh, not the the heart of stone, hadn't happened yet. And so to what you said a few minutes ago, Jesus' death, burial, his defeat of sin, his ascension to heaven, the subsequent unleashing of the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. upon the hearts of those who are followers of Jesus. And now all of a sudden they have new hearts. And for the first time since Genesis like 3-1, you know, <laughs> um, humanity has the capacity to fulfill God's intent. Yeah. All of humanity. All of they, humanity. They receive the Holy yeah, Spirit. those yeah. who have the Holy Spirit, who have a new heart, we can for the first time live out this reality of what God intended for his creation. And that is amazing because now all of a sudden it's not going to be easy though, mm-hmm. um, because because we still are living in a in a broken world and there's still remnants of that brokenness that we have lingering in our thinking and in our flesh and whatnot. But we have the capacity now to fulfill what God intended, which means in marriage, I can now love my wife differently. Mm-hmm. My wife can now love me differently. Um, all of a sudden, in the midst of these terrible circumstances of brokenness, we could actually bring about a redemptive reconciliation that actually reflects Jesus and his relationship to the church. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. This is, this is the first time in history that's ever been possible. But now, because of the new covenant, we can do what God intended. Mm-hmm. We can put Jesus in his relationship to the church on display. The church has a, I don't know if you guys have thought about this, the church has a pretty horrific, like, history of doing some pretty awful things. And yet, Jesus still loves the church. Mm-hmm. And Jesus reconciles yeah. and redeems that which is broken and going, oh, 
man, I have, I have the capacity to love my wife that way, or she gets the, the, has the capacity to love me that way. And, and so anyways, I, I just, I look and I go, man, for the first time ever, we have the capacity to do that. And I think that's what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 7 when he says, hey, when in Matthew 5 and, you know, Jesus is saying, hey, you heard it said, but I say to you, and then in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's going, hey, Jesus said to you this, but I'm going to say to you, hey, as new, as new covenant redeemed image bearers, whether you're single or married, man, you have a unique opportunity mm-hmm. to put Jesus on display. Yeah. I think what you said about it not being easy, it's not like we're going to, you come to Jesus and you roll out of bed the next day just doing everything perfectly. I mean, it's such a great argument for this whole concept of discipleship, of Jesus saying, come follow me. I'll, I'll make this a reality in your life. I'll lead you toward this. So there is a sense of, let's learn, let's grow. Let's, uh, the way Paul puts it in Galatians 6, like let's, or 5, let's, let's keep in step with the Spirit. So that way that fruit of the Spirit becomes manifest in our lives. Yeah. That it's, again, it's, it is absolutely possible. It's possible. <laughs> yes. Not in our own strength, but we lack nothing other than discipleship, growth, maturity, in order to dependence, dependence upon the Lord, His people, His Word, others, in order to not relax God's commands, but pursue the intent of them. Right? Yeah, and I think that's what's fun about both First and Second Corinthians is Paul in each of those in in that instance shows this is hard. Mm-hmm. Like you can't read First and Second Corinthians and wonder, huh? I wonder if I wonder if walking the Christian life is kind of hard. Paul's just going, "What's the <laughs> problem, guys? It should be easy now." <laughs> but but the other thing that he does, and you see this in his in walking it through, he he talks about it, that there's man's wisdom and God's wisdom, like in chapter one, chapter two. He he lays out this reality of the privilege of following Jesus, which is going to be to follow him down some difficult paths. But yet, starting in verse six of chapter two, here comes the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That searches even the depths of God, right? And like, think about that aspect of two sixteen, where he says, "We have the mind of Christ." Mm-hmm. That is, mm-hmm. to your point, that is nuts. Mm-hmm. We can think like Jesus mm-hmm. thinks. We're not mm-hmm. Jesus, but we can. We have that capacity mm-hmm. to do it. And then he, you know, he kind of lays out how he he works it out of his ministry in 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 chapters three and four, and how he kind of worked those through. And then in in five, we have you know a problem with a dude sleeping with his stepmom. Probably we mm-hmm. we have people going off to temple prostitutes. And then he even says to them, "Do you understand who you all are? You're the container of the Holy Spirit, whom God." dwells. You get who you are. And then in chapter seven, that's why I think this is so crucial. He lands into a very difficult matter of marriage and says, you can do this. Mm-hmm. Or singleness, you can do this. Yeah. Because both of those put an aspect of God on display to the world around Through us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? right? Like mm-hmm. that's I think like that's where he's really trying to get him to is do you understand who you guys are. Mm-hmm. You are possessors of the Holy Spirit. And so then when I think he comes along and he gives these commands, I think we always have to remember when Paul hands out commands, he always has in mind there's going to be the empowerment to fulfill those commands, right? He doesn't just give these commands or reiterate the commands of Jesus, but he really does come to them and say, no, you you can, you can do this. And even in it, there's these little concessions, and maybe we'll, what do you think, we'll get into it next time a little bit more, but 
But I, I really do think when he's laying this out, <clears throat> gosh, he has such a bigger vision for marriage and singleness than I think we sometimes even realize in what it looks like to display God in this calling to which we've been called. In fact, he calls it the charismata, your gifting, mm-hmm. you know, in the way he calls it, First mm-hmm. Corinthians 7, the gift of marriage or the gift of singleness in that way. But I think what you just said of God, if we we have the capacity to think this way as new covenant image bearers, right? Whether single or married. But then to bring it back to the conversation at hand, I think some of the times when we get into those, we get overwhelmed in the brokenness and the hopelessness and despair. We forget. We forget the context that we're in, right? And we we forget what it is that God's called us to. Um, And sometimes you're also only one party in the situation. Like, you can be responsible for how you handle the situation, but you can only take you can only influence your spouse in a situation like this to a certain degree that sometimes there's just even the limitation of mm-hmm. your part of the situation that but i think that can what's so cool too. about 1 Corinthians 7 is that he lays out multiple scenarios and uh-huh. says you can do this if you're married to another believer sure marriage now doesn't become you know the perfect ideal it's still hard mm-hmm. but you can do this if you've been divorced, you you can still do this. If you if you are a, a, a man or a woman married to an unbeliever, you can do this. Mm-hmm. Like there's single. if you're single, you can, I mean it's yeah. just like you're not painted into a corner. On, yeah, well, I think days. we always teach this this le- this this chapter of First Corinthians is stay as you are, mm-hmm. as if it's like okay, I'll just stay as I am, as if it somehow stinks. And Paul is not saying that at all. He's mm-hmm. not just saying stay as you are because that's just your lot in life. Mm-hmm. He would never call it the charismata, the gift, if he never intended you to say, no, this place to which you are, stay as you are, because this is the place to which God's called you now to model him into the world. It doesn't even say there. It's like, like stay as you are with the Lord. Like, yeah. You're not by yourself. There. No, you're not alone. Like the victorious risen Jesus is with you. And his body, which he's going to get into later in 1 Corinthians 12, right? Is that... Back to our whole reason why we do this thing is you're a part of a local church. Now, again, is it messy still? Sure, it's still messy. But I think if Paul were to be sitting here today, I still think he would look at us and say, "You no, you can do this. Mm-hmm. Like, no matter your allotment in life, you can you can do this. And so that, that to me is exciting. It's super exciting. And it, again, it gives us a, a hopefulness and optimism, not a not a over like a, a naive idealism, but a true optimism in the midst of the brokenness of life that no, there's a way for us as followers of Jesus to pursue God's intent, not like recognize the temptation to relax. It's still there. Relax God's what God's word says, but to pursue it together. Obviously there's more ground that we need to cover. I mean, there's there's this very common phrase of biblical grounds for divorce. And as we look at what Matthew says and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, I think there there is some more ground we need to cover in regard to even within the new covenant in the lingering the, the fact that we're we're not perfected yet. Um how how do we navigate yeah. maybe uh, issues in regard to when you do are facing divorce, yeah. remarriage, how do we navigate that with yeah, wisdom? Yeah, I even from think God? that question I I totally agree with you. By the way, yeah. like I I think we need to hit on this one and the next one because I yeah. think there's so much misunderstanding around this. But I think like for for people that are sitting there going, okay, I can do it, but how? Mm-hmm. Right, and for us just to say, well, you know, you got the Holy Spirit. Well, 
yes, if you're a follower of Jesus. But I think the how do we do this, I think the, the church is, and I, I don't mean, I think just the church in general, okay, I'll just say it that way, Cornerstone and many other churches, is how do we do this? Well, the church is supposed to step into this. That's why I kind of reiterated the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. How do you do this? Well, the church has got to step into the midst mm-hmm. of this because yeah. we were never intended to do this alone. Amen. Or because of our shame, we don't allow the church to step into it because we're, you know, maybe shame or, you know, unsure what to do. We don't want to, you know, whatever path it is that we're afraid of. Is that I think it's so important for people to hear this is that the church is the is the the hands and feet of Jesus to walk us through this difficulty. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes again, we we either the church doesn't do its job or the individual forgets to rely upon the church. Yeah. And I think this is so crucial to this discussion. So when we say, how do you do it? I don't want to leave it out there. It's just this, oh, you can do it, you know, Gipper. It's that no, it can be done, but it has to be done through not only the power of the Holy Spirit, but the where the Spirit dwells, mm-hmm. the church. Mm-hmm. And that is why we have to develop communal life mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. We cannot do this alone. Yeah. Um, so when we say you can do it, just understand what I mean by that is we can't do this alone apart from the Holy Spirit and mm-hmm. apart from God's people. Yeah, it's still an impossible task. I mean that 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 that's the part that I go. What the what the intention of God is is impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. To, I mean, to your point, yeah. go, but I don't think we actually acknowledge the overwhelming impossibility of what God's intention was yeah. for humanity. Well, because I think like I've sat, I've never like felt this way towards Lisa, but I've sat down across from my parents. I've sat down across from a lot of people, and it feels so hopeless. Mm-hmm. It it's. Um, there's so much hurt. There's so much that has happened there. And and so when we say it's impossible, what we we mean is is that it there's it's hurt. And when you're dealing with a, a, a man or a woman that has an unbelieving spouse, that is they're trying to walk it through, it hurts. Yeah. And, and you know, so it's just like this is where for me, I think the church stepping into that pain or that person allowing the church to step into that pain and hurt and uns- unsureness, the insecurity of mm-hmm. it, it, that is the only possible way that person, when we say you can do it, that is the only possible way. Yeah, to give comfort and hope and support without relaxing. Yeah. And that's what we want to seek to do. But again, to be fair to some of you out there, maybe that if this has happened to, sometimes the church hasn't always done a good job, mm-hmm. and or maybe maybe you haven't done a good job of inviting the church in. Who who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, in that dance. But if you're someone right now that's hurting, that invitation to come in is so important mm-hmm. because it is to Spencer's point, it is impossible apart from the work of God in and through the church to walk through something like that. So. Should we bring it to a close? Yeah. We talked a while. Yeah. We'll, we'll do at least one more. On well, we got at least one more. And I do want to, I agree with you. That whole issue of like, you know, man, what do we do now with biblical grounds for divorce? And we'll maybe talk through some ways in which maybe people have even heard it before. But yeah. maybe just on the behalf of the three of us here is when we say you can do it, we believe that deep in our heart. We believe that God is powerful. We believe the Holy Spirit, the transformation of the Holy Spirit is I think you could say this, unimaginable and how incredible it is what he does in our lives. 
But we also know there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of pain um, in what happens in and around uh, these marriages that are twisted and marred and even broken. And so what we also mean by it is, is that we believe God's given us this incredible thing called the church to walk through. And so that's, that's why we do Beyond Sunday. We love being involved in the local church, and we love sitting down having these discussions. And uh, God bless you all. We we'll look forward to talking to you again soon.